This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Saver Production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about Squid Ink. With a kind of an asterisk next to it. Yes, yeah, cephalopod ink in general, I mm-hmm. suppose. But uh, squid, squid and um, cuttlefish ink in particular. Yeah, what we generally call squid ink. More on that later. But also a few random calamari facts. Sure. It's kind of a hodgepodge of an episode. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah, we'll have to do whole episodes on cuttlefish and squid at a later yes. time and date because, whoo, so much fun. The biology. So yes. cool. Cephalopods are my favorite. Yeah. I feel bad about eating them. I feel worse about octopuses. Yeah. As we were just discussing before we started rolling, like I have this long-held belief that I think comes from Michael Crichton's fear. Yes. That squid are mean. Uh-huh. And and that I should feel fine about eating them, mm-hmm. and that that octopuses, unrelated to sphere, I think, are great, <laughs> right, and beautiful, and like smarter than your dog, yes, and that you should not eat them because I feel bad about it, right. <laughs> and cuttlefish are adorable, so I don't want to eat them anyway. Yeah, I was telling Lauren that I had a squid-based <laughs> nightmare last night. I was on my merry way to get some donuts in a helicopter, and a squid attacked. <laughs> And I know it's faux pas to tell people your dreams, but that one (laughs) felt so appropriate. (laughs) And it's so indicative of how seriously I take this job. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and how seriously you take donuts. So seriously. (laughs) So seriously. I I ended up starting a donut shop, by the way. The dream turned out okay. Oh, that's good. (laughs) I wish I could remember the name. (laughs) 
<laughs> but um, a squid ink pasta, or I think it's called black ink pasta, actually, is one of my favorite dishes in Atlanta at Boca Lupo. And every year for my birthday, I get it. It's to the point where I, I always make the reservation. You need a reservation there in general, mm-hmm. um, like two months in advance. And they, I think it gives them a chuckle because when I come in, they're like, it's you. Aww. <laughs> like, yep, every year. Um, and I tried to make it once, and I was like ravioli filled with pumpkin, and it was a Halloween-themed dish because I'm a huge nerd. And it turned out okay. Yeah? It turned out okay. It didn't produce as much as I thought. It was one of those things where I thought it was going to be, like, enough for two, and then it was, like, barely enough for one. Oh, and you were like, well, th- sorry. <laughs> this is an Either appetizer keep- now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a couple each. <laughs> Okay, but I suppose we should get to our question. Yes. Squid ink slash cuttlefish ink. What is it? Well, yeah, what we call squid ink is frequently not made from squid, but from cuttlefish ink. This is this was news to me yes. as I started doing this research, but... Let's back up a step. Okay. Um, so the, the product that is called in America squid ink is a food coloring and flavoring obtained from the defensive ink sacs of squid and other cephalopods, often cuttlefish. It contains mostly melanin, that same stuff that pigments our uh, eyes and skin and hair. It can range in color from like a deep bluish black, usually from squid, to this extremely rich brown, usually from cuttlefish, and tastes uh, briny and savory, earthy, and sometimes a little bit fishy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm makes sense, I suppose. It does. I am personally unfamiliar with the flavor differences between squid and cuttlefish inks, but folks do have opinions. According to one Marcella Hazan in her book Essentials of Classic Italian Cooking, quote, to the Italian palate, the harsh pungent ink is the least desirable part of the squid. As Venetian cooks have shown, it's only the mellow, velvety, warm-tasting ink of the cuttlefish, sepia, that is suitable for pasta sauce, risotto, and other black dishes. Huh, how interesting. Yeah. Wow. I, I love this. It must be true. I I mean, I don't see why she would lie about it. That would be an interesting con. <laughs> Does she have any connections to the cuttlefish industry? Oh. <laughs> More research is needed. Intrigue. <laughs> Made up intrigue, probably. <laughs> but yes, so um, within the class Cephalopoda, all of the animals in the subgroup Coleoidea, uh, that is octopuses, squid, and cuttlefish, have ink sacs and produce ink. Uh, they, they have them when they hatch. And not all inks are dark. Some deep-sea cephalopods produce bioluminescent ink. That's the coolest thing. That is the coolest thing. Love it. (laughs) Um, They do this to confuse or misdirect predators long enough to get away. There's also some suggestion that predators dislike interacting with or eating the ink, like uh, like dolphins will squish the ink out of cuttlefish before eating them. Oh, man. That's so funny. Dolphins don't know what they're missing. (laughs) I wonder if I start walking around with glitter, and that will be my defense. Like, if I ever feel threatened, I'll just throw glitter and run away. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like a smoke bomb. The human... Or glitter bomb, yeah. Yeah, equivalent. Yeah. Hmm, I've learned a lot today. <laughs> I've got some inspiration. Future <laughs> ideas. <laughs> uh, the, um, the ancient Greek and Latin for cuttlefish, by the way, was sepia. And that is the taxonomical name for many species of cuttlefish today. That The modern Italian word is sepia. Um, and so, yeah, sepia ink was originally cephalopod ink. And it's where um, the description of more modern artificial inks is being sepia-toned comes from. Whoa. I always thought there was an H in that word. Nope. Wow. 
the brain can do some amazing things. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> uh, cuttlefish and squid have sometimes even been called uh, inkfish or penfish in oh. English because of their association with. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Mm-hmm. But since we are a food show, let's talk about some culinary uses. Okay. <laughs> it does have a lot of uses as a flavoring or coloring for noodles or rice and in sauces, particularly in Spain, Italy, and Japan. Uh, Italy has pasta al nero di sepia, a black pasta, and risotto nero. Um, Spain has arroz negro, a black rice, and black paella. There's squidding pasta, pizza, sauce, burgers, cookies, ice cream, sushi, fish, and chips. It's in the batter, so the chips are black. <laughs> um, also, tempura, same thing. Squidding waffles topped with calamari to celebrate stranger things. Okay. <laughs> squidding tacos, squidding calamari. Tinted prawn crackers. Kuroke breaded with squidding panko. Uh, this is a, po- a popular Japanese snack of mashed potatoes mixed with other ingredients, flattened out and fried. I'm very angry I didn't try this when I was in Japan. Oh, I know, I know an, an izakaya where we can get some. Not, Perfect. Not with the squidding squid panko, but we could, you know, make a recommendation. <laughs> I don't know how much sway we have. I don't think it's very much, but, you know. Uh, they, 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 theirs have um, the, the one that I'm thinking about. It's from this Japanese restaurant called Shoya. And um, they're, the little patties of mashed potatoes are filled with little bits of cream cheese. Oh. And then, yeah, they're deep fried and topped with, like, butter. It's so good. That sounds phenomenal. <laughs> okay, well, I know what we're doing later. <laughs> Um, then there's, yeah, cuttlefish ink soup, also out of Japan. Uh, yeah, called ikasumi jiru. Um, it's an Okinawan specialty. There's also a black squid adobo made in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. There's also a dish called chipurones en su tinta, uh, squid in its ink. It's a, it's a popular dish of the Basque people. And these inks have some antimicrobial and some tenderizing properties. So one traditional preparation of cephalopods has been to cure them. In their own ink. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some imitation caviars are colored with cephalopod ink. Uh, extracts from these inks are sometimes used as food coloring. I found a squid ink beer. It sounds like it's still very much in the experimental phase. <laughs> okay. But uh, it does exist. <laughs> uh for a while, a few years back, related squid ink cocktails were super trendy. Um, my favorite that I've read about is a take on the Bloody Mary with pisco, wood-smoked tomato juice, fish stock, and squid ink. Huh. Ah, I Ooh. really want to drink that. That does um, sound good. It's from a now defunct restaurant called Del Campo in D.C., though um, Though one of the concepts that replaced it, Poca Madre, also has an exquisite-sounding drink menu. Anyway, um, these cocktails do tend to turn your mouth black, which may or may not be a detractant from yeah. the trend. Yeah, we'll get into that a bit more later, but it's all part of this Instagram thing that's happening. I <laughs> oh. think you kids have heard about the Instagram. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's likely. <laughs> probably. What about nutrition? Well, you're probably not consuming enough to have much of an effect, but squid ink is mostly like proteins and minerals, no fats or carbs to speak of. One of those components um, is glutamic acid, which is an amino acid that reads as savory to our taste buds. And yes, is related to the glutamate in MSG, monosodium glutamate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there are also a smattering of compounds with effects ranging from antioxidant to anti-inflammatory to antibacterial. But again, the amount of ink that you would consume in food probably isn't enough to make any kind of difference. Um, but yeah, it's being investigated to make like medicinal extracts. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Numbers-wise. Numbers. 80% of the squid is edible, which is 
a pretty big deal. Um, and you can eat it all kinds of ways, baked, broiled, fried, stuffed, dried. Cephalopods in general are a big fishing industry. At least 4.8 million tons are caught every year worldwide and account for around 2% of our global protein consumption. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, much of those catches occur in the Mediterranean and Southeast Asia. For squid and cuttlefish in particular, Spain, Morocco, India, China, South Africa, Peru, and Thailand are some of the biggest suppliers. Though in some places, the uh, the ink has often been discarded as a waste product, um, like in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. A, a thing that some people are kind of trying to work on right now. Yes. Most squid consumed in the U.S. is imported from China, so it may be hard to find sustainably caught and processed options for squid in the United States. Because of the labor involved, it's sometimes more cost-efficient to ship squid to China. I know a lot of people in California have been doing this, mm-hmm. to be processed and have it shipped back. Yeah. Uh, sustainability is a global problem in the cuttlefish and squid industries. Mm-hmm. Cuttlefish, meanwhile, are basically an unknown in the United States, um, except in imported processed foods. Like you can find dried cuttlefish snacks, um, and cuttlefish is an ingredient in like ramen, for example, in some Japanese supermarkets. Yeah. The second largest squid fishery in the U.S. and one of the largest in the world is the Northwest Atlantic. And it nets up to $8 million in squid a year, which is 6 million pounds of squid. The largest in the U.S., the Rhode Island Squid Fishing Fleet, is valued at $18 million, 17.5 million pounds of squid. The state was awarded a $2.9 million grant from the U.S. Economic Development Administration to bring their fishing infrastructure up to date. In the words of the Daily Beast, Rhode Island had big squid. And there's this whole thing, okay? And I'm going to shorten it a lot because there's so many politics and it's hilarious, but we don't have time. Okay. In 2012, (laughs) Rhode Island Representative Joseph McNamara said, so much of what we hear or read about Rhode Island is negative. I didn't know that was the case, but all right. We need to start promoting the good and wonderful things about our state. And while squid may make some people squeamish, we should be boasting about the fact that Rhode Island is the East Coast capital of squid and that our style of preparing it is being used by chefs across the country. Even Guy Fieri has a recipe for it. And then this whole thing was a part of a push to make calamari the state appetizer of Rhode Island. Okay. Yes, and... Surprise, surprise. This push led to controversy, so much controversy. Appetizer controversy. This is our wheelhouse. (laughs) Others wanted clam cakes. People really wanted clam cakes as the state appetizer. Uh, Squid pro quo came up in the debate, that phrase. Oh, my gosh. Squid pro quo. That's beautiful. I know. We can't beat that. (laughs) But eventually, the bill did pass, and calamari became the official appetizer of Rhode Island. So appetizer debate aside. (laughs) Um, All of this is relatively new, this squid ink, cuttlefish ink, uh, for the U.S., only going back to the 1970s. Prior to that, a lot of Americans wouldn't think of squid or cuttlefish as food. In 1979, the squid sales from New York distributors was a couple of hundred thousand pounds. But by the 1980s, that number was up to several million pounds. That same decade... Red Lobster was buying a million pounds of squid, mostly for calamari. Like fried calamari. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Squid is relatively cheap. Um, It it, it fluctuates, but I've seen like about $2.50 a pound, $2.50 a pound. Um, Yeah, it's not huge, squid and squid ink in the U.S., but elsewhere in the world, it's it's far more common. I remember when eating calamari was weird here. 
a few decades ago, at least among my circle, my little small town circle. Uh, <laughs> but that is changing, thanks in part to color theory and Instagram. <laughs> and you know we love color theory on this podcast. Uh, some people in the know speculate that while the color black has been relatively unpopular in cuisine, mostly because it meant burnt, usually, mm-hmm. um, that's changing as more and more people are exposed to things like the char on the bottom of pizza, charred vegetables, burgers, and steaks, even in something like um, black sesame or black coconut ash ice cream, and integrating trendier, foodier ingredients like huh. charcoal, ash, and squid ink. From executive chef over at the Metropolitan Hotel and Spa, Rana Joy Bonjourie, the popularity of charred foods, the acceptance of squid ink as more than a novelty ingredient, and the rise of activated charcoal as a health food has given a whole new concept of black food in the culinary industry. A part of it seems to be fueled by Instagram culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, pizza Huts in India recently introduced black pan pizza with a secret ingredient that is not charcoal. That's all they know. Well, that's all the people that I researched. (laughs) (laughs) I I hope Pizza Hut in India knows what it is. We had uh, that black-colored poke cracker at Senia in Hawaii, and that came up in a couple articles I read. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh South Korea has an entire holiday dedicated to black-colored foods. Black Day, which began as a counter to Valentine's Day in the early 2000s. Single folks eat black bean noodles and dress in all black on this day. (laughs) This sounds like a holiday I can get behind. (laughs) Um, Allegedly, sales of black coffee go up that day as well. Oh, my gosh. That's so cute. I know, right? According to Bloomberg, squid ink is leading the black food trend. The consensus among chefs seems to be its flavor, aesthetic, and a part of the head-to-tail movement using everything head head to tentacles, perhaps, Um, getting creative when it comes to preventing waste and finding ways to incorporate previously unappreciated or unused elements. You can extract cephalopod ink from these animals at home, or you can ask your seafood counter to do it for you if the thought of that grosses you out, Mm -hmm. Um, or you can buy it in specialty shops. Yes. So that's a lot of exposition. Uh Uh-huh. But we're going to get to some squid ink history. And first, we're going to get to a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. Roller coaster. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. 
Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Jin, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So, cephalopods with ink sacs have been around for about 330 million years and have been producing ink that is chemically similar to today's cephalopod ink for at least 160 million years. And researchers know this because they found a fossilized cephalopod with an intact ink sac and they analyzed the ink and also reconstituted some of it and used it to draw a picture of the animal that it was from. What? This was around 2009. Never ever say that the British Geological Survey doesn't know how to party. We need to be friends with these folks. I know. That is so fun. (laughs) It Uh, really is. If you're listening, you know how to contact us. (laughs) The history of eating squid ink is difficult to pin down. Very, very difficult. Historians know that the ancient Greeks and Romans ate squid, um, little ones perhaps fried whole and covered with breadcrumbs. Mm, sounds really good to me. Yep. Um, more often, simply prepared by boiling. A play from that period mentions stuffed squid, and writings of the time suggest that it was quite popular throughout the Mediterranean. The first believed mention of fried squid was from around 455 to 388 BC. So that's pretty decent. Yeah. Aristotle wrote about cuttlefish in his History of Animals, circa 350 BCE. He said, in translation, When the sepia is frightened and in terror, it produces this blackness and muddiness in the water, as it were a shield held in front of the body. And Aristotle himself was described by one of his contemporaries. He is like the cuttlefish who obscures himself in his own ink when he feels himself about to be grasped. That's excellent. I know. It's like shade, but also a compliment. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. It is is a wonderful burn. I love it. Um, Our old pal, Pliny the Elder, purported that cuttlefish blood is itself inky. 
makes sense, I guess. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, folks in Southeast Asia have also been eating cephalopods for at least a couple thousand years. Also for thousands of years, squid and cuttlefish ink has been used not only culinarily, but also in medicine and in art, in coastal areas all around the world, and in cosmetics. The first printed cookbook, uh, written in Latin around 1465, had an entry on squid. Uh, the title of this book translates to On Honest Indulgence and Good Health. Honest Indulgence. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and yeah, this, this entry, I had to mention because it's so cute. Okay. Those who call them calamari would better and more properly call them atramentarii, since they have a head in the shape of an inkwell and pour out ink, um, atramentum, like cuttlefish. It furthermore said that uh, that large ones are cut up in pieces and boiled with finely chopped parsley and spices. Small ones are eaten fried in orange juice. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. I heard a lot of references to cooking them with orange juice, which sounds so good. It does. <sighs> I know that's a combination I never would have put together. Yeah. But interested to try. Yeah, willing to try. Oh yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sepia ink made from actual cephalopod ink went in and out of fashion over the centuries, but enjoyed a hit of popularity in Europe in the 1800s. Um, The name sepia became associated with the color rather than the product around that time, which is why media like uh, like photographs that definitely like no cephalopods were harmed in the making of are to this day sometimes called sepia toned. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And then jumping way ahead (laughs) to 1974. Market research suggested that squid would be a hard sell in the U.S. Unappetizing, difficult to clean. Six years later, a professor and an engineer tried to improve the situation by inventing squid skinning and eviscerating system. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Despite its excellent food value, uh, they argued, a North American market for squid is virtually non-existent. The appearance of whole squid is unappetizing to many in the marketplace. The average consumer does not know how to clean or prepare whole squid for consumption. And the machine, by the way, looked terrifying. <laughs> when I saw a picture of it, I was like, what could this be? An eviscerating machine. Oh. That makes sense. <laughs> but it was effective for the time. It could process four squids a minute, produced 50% edible meat, which was a little less than hand cleaning, and separated the ink sacs from frozen squid without busting them. Along with being terrifying, it was also huge and not really convenient. With all of these hurdles, it's really thanks to immigrants coming into the U.S. and an acceptance that hand cleaning was the way to go that squid started to make its way onto American menus. Huh. And also, the Cornell Cooperative Extension Division. They helped. Okay. Yes. They were trying to find something to supplement the catch of folks in the fishing industry whose catch of flounder and cod were floundering. Mm. Apologies. Sorry, sorry. Uh, I think I did that without even trying to make a pun, and then I just left it in there because uh-huh. sometimes you have to have proof of how terrible your brain your works. Your brain is, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. All without, without you. <laughs> yes. It's just all on its own. It's mm-hmm. true. A bunch of other organizations got on board with this whole thing, including some federal ones, and the initiative went national. The U.S. government was encouraging restaurants to try squid. Restaurant owners were concerned that American consumers would be hesitant to give squid a try, um, so they decided to start small and easy, a fried appetizer. Um, And they used the Italian name for squid, calamari. So maybe people, you know, fry anything and then give it a name that sounds fancy. Fancy. They'll probably buy it. 
Um, it was still a rare find in 1980 when a restaurant in Santa Cruz, California, launched the first International Calamari Festival. <laughs> yes. Seven years later, and the restaurant had six to seven calamari dishes a night and a squid cleaner in the back for patrons to view. <laughs> yeah. The U.S. squid market went from just about zero sales in the 70s to 127 million pounds in 1989. It's a journey from zero to appetizer hero that was so <laughs> jaw-dropping that the New York Times used it to create an index for tracking food trends called the Fried Calamari Index. Wow. Yeah. The time it takes for a food to go from nothing to mainstream is one standard calamari unit. <laughs> it took calamari 16 standard calamaris to go mainstream, which I don't understand, but okay. <laughs> and then in 2013, This American Life made a splash when they posted a segment on imitation calamari, a pig's rectum, or bung, as it's called, similar taste and texture to the real deal. And when asked, an employee with the USDA's Food Safety and Inspection Service declared he'd never heard of imitation calamari. But he did note that boiled pig intestines had a similar texture to calamari when boiled. There is no proof that restaurants are passing off pork rectum as calamari, but seafood fraud does happen at a disturbingly high rate. Mm-hmm. Future episode. For oh, sure. for sure. Yeah. In 2014, Burger Kings in Japan released a line of Kuro burgers, Kuro meaning black. The buns and sauce and cheese were black. The sauce got its color from squid ink. McDonald's came out with their own version soon after. Uh, yeah, McDonald's version was the Ikasumi burger, um, Ika meaning squid and sumi meaning ink. Um, they did keep the usual orange cheese, though, to make a black and orange, like, Halloween color palette. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, they also had a squid ink camembert chicken burger. Huh. Apparently. <laughs> um, both companies used bamboo charcoal to make the buns black and squid ink for sauces. Yes. I was in Japan. When I went, it was Halloween, and I, I got a kick out of seeing <laughs> kind of this, like, look what the silly thing Americans do. <laughs> <laughs> Let's celebrate it. I was like, oh, yeah, it's oh, fun. Sure. It's, come on in. It is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Halloween waters are fine. It's true. Um, but yeah, uh, as as we mentioned earlier, these inks are currently being investigated for use in everything from medicines to cosmetics to like food grade emulsifiers as yet natural sources of these pigments and other useful compounds. Yes, a lot happening in this world, mm-hmm. um, and we would really appreciate hearing from listeners, especially like about that black day in Korea. But um, yeah. also, I was telling Lauren, I, I get frustrated sometimes because when food like this. Um, isn't popular in the U.S., it's hard for us to find as much information on it. Yeah. And um, would love to to fix that or, you know, supplement it where possible. Yes, absolutely. If you if you have, if you know more lore yeah. about cephalopod ink, let the us know. You are someone we want to talk absolutely. to. Absolutely. I mean, honestly, if you know stuff about cephalopods in general, like, call me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We've got a direct cephalopod line. <laughs> We should. We have a phone in the office. We can set it up. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That would be the best. Oh, that would be the best. We'll look into that. Okay. All right. Anyway, um, yeah, that's um, that's about what we have to say about Cephalopod Inc. Today, we do have a little bit more for you. But first, we've got one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. 
Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with <laughs> There's a lot of tentacle gesture that was happening there. There was. There was. Yeah. One day somebody is going to do an embarrassing montage of all of our listener mails, and we're, we're going to deserve every second of it. <laughs> <laughs> Producer Andrew is shrugging. <laughs> I dread it and look forward to it simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Ian wrote, 
I come from a food justice background and have been involved in waste reduction at almost every step of the food system. I teach foraging and have helped gardeners as well as both urban and small-scale farms to identify edible weeds and rebrand them for both restaurant and consumer use. I've worked with cleaning programs in Kentucky to stop food waste at the point of harvest. Some crops aren't considered pretty enough to go to market. I work with Food Not Bombs, a community organization that collects food that grocery stores would otherwise throw out and redistributes it to the community. I used to work for a company that did bike-based pickup of compost Chicago area homes and businesses. And I also teach classes on fermentation, food preservation, and cooking with excess. If all else fails, I used to rank among the most famous dumpster divers in the world under the pseudonym John Greentree. Oh. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah, and he wrote in to highlight some of these these organizations that people can check out if they want to do more about reducing food waste in their communities or in their own personal lives. Yeah. Which I guess would affect your community. Y- yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Some cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Mary wrote... Love the podcast and the amazing listener stories that I've heard thanks to you. I finally have something interesting to email about. I just listened to the pizza episode, and as someone who is partially Italian, I have to say that one of my most treasured childhood memories while visiting in Italy involved eating freshly baked pizza straight from a gigantic brick oven that indeed looked like a turtle. My favorite pizza has always been pesto sauce, thinly sliced potatoes, some onions, olives, and a drizzle of olive oil, sometimes sprinkled with sea salt. When I was a child, my Nona would always make the dough from scratch without measuring. It was so simple, and I would always help with the kneading. When it came time to clean the aforementioned oven, at four years old, I would crawl in there and help remove the ashes with the tiny broom, (laughs) all the while pretending I was Cinderella. My understanding is that the building itself had been in the family for many generations. And despite many attempts to have the oven removed due to safety concerns, my Nona fights anyone tooth and nail to keep it from being destroyed. She used to tell me stories of her Greek grandmother using the exact same oven to make all sorts of breads from buns to focaccias to pitas and even panettone for Christmas and biscotti for special occasions. Now that I think about it, it's very obvious why I love bread so much. That's wonderful. That is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would have I would have also gotten a kick out of cleaning that oven when I was a tiny child. I would have me felt too. like very Hansel and Gretel about it. Oh yeah. In a way that I really would have liked. Yeah, me too. Which now that I say it out loud probably is weird. Eh, it's an insight. <laughs> I don't think it's weird. Oh, there you go. That's a that's a nice way of putting things that are super heckin' weird. <laughs> that's that's an insight. Yeah. There you go. It's the new uh, interesting. (laughs) Insightful. (laughs) Insightful. (laughs) Yes. Um, Well, thanks to both of them for emailing us. We would Mm -hmm. love to hear from you as well. If you would like to email us, you can at hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SaverPod. We do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thank you, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. 
And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wooden! But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.